0: Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1. And tonight we want to look at some spiritual blessings for believers. And there is a lot that we can study. I'm going to take the time to start with verse number 3. And I'm going to read down through verse number 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. So spiritual blessings for believers. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We are appreciative of being able to fellowship again, to look into the word of God. Help us, Lord, to unravel these many blessings. Help us to see them clearly and help us to grow in our appreciation for you. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for a wonderful weekend, being able to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior And so God, we honor you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Ephesians is a beautiful book. I'm sure all of us have taken the time to read through large portions of it. Paul wrote this to the people that were in the ancient city of Ephesus. It was a very big metropolis. They had a very big idolatrous shrine there for the goddess Diana. She was a fertility goddess and if you've ever read Acts chapter 19 you can see what happened when Paul went into the midst of that place a riot almost occurred because a man by the name of Demetrius I believe who was a silversmith and he made gods he was a craftsman that made these idols he and others got together and felt like if Paul continued to preach the gospel, he would not only stir up a lot of strife there, but he would produce a lot of converts, and that would cut into their profits. And so they did not want to lose out in that regard. And it also says in Acts chapter 19 that there Paul did supernatural signs and wonders, so the demons were cast out of people. Beautiful miracles occurred. But something happened that led him to write a letter to them. And this is one of the few letters where Paul doesn't rebuke anybody for any particular sin. So there's nothing in here that's accusing them of any wrongdoing. But what he is doing is unraveling what has occurred through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to work on that with some detail. And so verse 3 again says that we are blessed. And we run into that word twice in verse 3. Notice also the The uh, relationship that we have with God. He's called our Father, and he's called the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. We understand that, but I want you to see this role here. Our role is that of children. God is the one who's the Father, and he's the one who's able to give us blessings. So, the greater one is able to give to us something we don't possess. It's the same way parents give to their children things that the children don't have at that particular time and children receive from their parents the kind of love and nurture that leads them to believe that the parents want them to have better things than they had growing up. Well, God loves us enough that he lavishes you with all kinds of blessings. And verse 3 says they are spiritual blessings. So if if there's spiritual blessings, we need to differentiate between spiritual blessings and natural blessings. If I were to ask you what's a spiritual blessing, I'm sure you'd say grace. That is unmerited favor, something you don't deserve. Mercy, that's a spiritual blessing because that is the compassion of God that's given to people who are not necessarily worthy of it. Salvation, I know that's a spiritual blessing. God redeems us out of sin, delivering us pulling us out of difficulties. At the same time, we know that forgiveness is a spiritual blessing. But let's go now to Psalm 103. and Let's look at some other ones. We'll come back here. Psalm 103. And if this is not a psalm that you have ever really marked up or meditated on, I, I really think that The first five verses of Psalm 103, you you should learn these verses. A Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his what? Benefits. Uh, how many of you like benefits? I like benefits. Most of us like benefits. I don't think I've ever met anybody that didn't like benefits. Let's see what some of them are. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. You can't think of one that, that he, he, his blood can't handle. Who healeth all thy diseases. Th- there's never been an affliction that God can't cure and get right on top of. He's he's that strong. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. There's never been a problem. There's never been a trial that God is not able to get you out of safely. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. However bad we may be, the Lord still is able To show us loving kindness. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. Now, now mouth can be literal or it could be a euphemism that describes your possessions things that he he permits you to devour or things that he permits you to own or consume, we would say. Then he goes on to say, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That was the belief in ancient times, that that eagle shed those feathers over and over again. And so that when the old feathers were pushed out, the new ones came through, and the eagle, even as it got older, was still strong, able to fly right into the sun, able to soar very high, able to see very far and then these are just some of the, the blessings. Well, well, it's amazing then, <clears throat> if we were to work on these benefits and think about some of these spiritual blessings that the Lord has given us, I think all of us would say we're, we appreciate the forgiveness of sins. I know I do. I don't think there's a week that goes by that I'm, in, I'm not in need of the blood of Jesus. So, so that means often, I'm having to say to the Lord, Father, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of a particular deed or or something that was said or even sometimes something that was thought. But the scripture says he forgives all, all our iniquities. And the blood in the Old Testament is what was necessary in order for man to be able to approach God. Remember, the scripture says that the life of the flesh is in the blood, and that's one of the reasons the children of Israel were not allowed to eat animals that had been strangled because animals that had been strangled still maintained the blood within their body. They could only eat those kinds of animals that had been drained of the blood because the scripture says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So that's important. And I, I believe that going all the way back to the book of Genesis, whenever the people approached God you, you will see that there's an animal that was sacrificed. Blood had to be shed. And the, the point of that was that the blood was going to cover their sin. So that gave them the, the right opportunity to approach the Lord. And on the basis of Jesus' blood, the scripture says we can boldly come to the throne of grace and find mercy and help. Uh, mercy and grace in a time of need so whenever we're in need we approach the lord on the basis of the blood and that is why we find forgiveness so we, we appreciate the blood we highly esteem the shed blood of the lord jesus christ even if other people don't understand it and they think if you talk about blood it just makes christianity a bloody religion well it was a bloody, bloody religion if you think of what the priest did under the old covenant He had sacrifices that were offered twice a day. Scripture says that uh, the priest or the family member or the father had to bring the animal to the door of the tabernacle. The priest then received the animal, laid his hands upon the animal, brought the animal into the outer court. And then that animal's life was taken on behalf of the family that brought it. Scripture says it was scanned. Its entrails were taken out. Hooves had to be caught off and and in an order they had to lay the pieces of meat up there on that altar so that the blood could be caught in a basin and then later on if it was the day of atonement they're going to take some of that and go into the holy of holies but but the blood had to be shed for the families now think of that the children of Israel every day were out uh, doing their agricultural business the children were working the women were doing what they were doing and the priests were ministering in the tabernacle secretly privately mediating between them and god because of their sins and the children of israel they were graciously covered because of what the priest did now we don't have to do that now thank god we don't have to go to jerusalem the, the heads of homes don't have to offer up sacrifices or take them to some particular pastor or priest. The scripture says Jesus is the high priest that stands at the right hand of the father whose life has been taken so that he could offer himself to us. He mediates for us and we enjoy the benefits of that every day. Even if you go half a day without thinking about the, media, the mediation or the mediatorial work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says he still does a work of intercession for you even when you don't even recognize it. So when you go to bed tonight and I go to sleep, Jesus will still be the one that's mediating. And so I, I can go to him and the scripture says he forgives all our sins. I think I've told you before that most people, or I should say, everyone likes forgiveness and believes in forgiveness, especially if they're the ones that need to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's giving forgiveness to someone else that we have a problem with. Yeah. And, and forgiving others, there's a good feeling that many people have when it comes to what we call grudge bearing. So we like to hold on to stuff like that, you know, get mad at somebody. It just just makes us feel pretty good when we can carry it around for a little while. But there's another place in the New Testament that says the same way God has forgiven you, you should be willing and able to forgive other people. We'll look at the next one there in verse 3. Who healeth all thy diseases. This goes back to the whole point of the creation of man. When the Lord made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, do you realize there was no infirmity or sickness or disease there? There was zero. There was no fear, no murder, no lying, no deception, anything like that. All of that was a result of Adam and Eve sinning. Once Adam and Eve got uh, caught in the midst of their sin, all kinds of troubles just broke out in their bodies, broke out in the earth. Scripture says that Adam had to work uh, through the sweat of his brow, tilling the land, and it yielded thorns and thistles to him. So because of sin, bad stuff began to happen. And this physical body of ours, we come into this world as infants, but, but it's within the seed and within the DNA that we grow to be so tall, and then everything ceases. It's just like trees. I mean, you wonder why certain trees don't just keep growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. It's because it's, it's all in the seed. And it's the same thing with us. We come from a heritage and in our families, uh, some of us are wider than the other. Some of us are taller than the other. Some of us are shorter than the other. It has everything to do with how the makeup is in the seed. That, that's what I'm saying. So there's a point in every believer's life, even though they're Christian, as they grow in God, naturally, though they may stop right here, spiritually, you can continue to exceed The the natural circumstance, you continue to grow in God. I really believe every one of us in here are a thousand times bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. So having said that, God then, through the scripture, demonstrates that he's bigger than our physical body over and over again by showing us in the Old and the New Testament that when people have had infirmities and afflictions, he does heal. So Abraham, the first man that prayed for healing in the Bible, he prayed for those people that were keeping him in bondage. And the scripture says that the ones that were barren, the Lord, the Lord uh, he, he healed them. And so just, just a thousand scriptures like that throughout the Bible where supernatural things certainly have taken place. Uh, I was sharing with the people on Easter about a man named John Smith who lived back in the 30s. This man got married in, I think it was July 1939. Met a beautiful young lady, but six weeks later, in August 1939, he was in an insane asylum. Yeah, he, uh, let's not blame his wife, no, let's, let's not blame, not not, we're not blaming his wife. Just, just, he, he, he got married, <coughs> and, and, and he said suddenly a violent temper just, just came on him. And uh, this beautiful wife that he had, he said he suddenly... He, he, he started abusing her physically. He started breaking up the wedding gifts that people had given to them. And the wife would run out of the house. She was so terrified she didn't know what was going on because he was going through these bouts of despondency, and sadness, a lot of depression. He would jump up and run out of the house thinking that when, he, when she made the food that she was trying to poison him. He was having a nervous breakdown is what was happening. And, and when it was all over... This young lady who had gotten married and wanted to be married and was trying to stick it out, she's running out of the house for her life because he's harming her, and the authorities had to get involved, and pretty soon he was assigned to an insane asylum. Now, this this all happened within a period of six weeks. Nervous breakdown, newlywed, has to watch her husband taken away in a straitjacket. Now she's got to go there and see him like this and, and john was was so bad off that when they would bring him his food he, he said he would eat raw potatoes and act like they were apples he'd eat the skin and all he said he would act when, when visitors would come he would act as though the servants inside of the asylum were were his his own private workers and that the asylum was his own kingdom he just he was off his rocker is what what it was But his wife, as as sad as she was at the circumstances, she had heard that there were two visiting preachers in their city that were preaching under a tent and praying for the sick. Now, she didn't know them. She wrote a letter to the host pastor and invited those two men to come pray for her husband. Now, remember, this lady's only been married six weeks. Now we're going on... A few more weeks and all of this is going on. The husband's sitting in the insane asylum. It's going week after week and then into months and things like that. And these two preachers came. And and as John gives his testimony, he says that that when they, they, they brought him into the room where the two evangelists was, said they had to bring him in and shuffling his feet. And they said they brought him into the room by the chair. He didn't even know to sit down. They had to bend his legs so he could sit down. But he said... When those preachers came to where he was, they laid hands on him, and he said, immediately it was like uh, the clouds had rolled back and a light began to shine around about him. Because what they said was, when they laid hands on him, they said, In the name of Jesus Christ, we command you to be healed. That, that's all they prayed, you know. And the scripture says, Whosoever called on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and so that, that individual within, within just a, a few moments was healed. Within a few days was home with his wife. Now if somebody were to say to the wife, well, you know, that, that's a coincidence. See, that, that wife, she said, well, you should have been living in that house when he was hitting me. That, that wasn't a coincidence when he did that and he had that nervous breakdown. Uh, for that wife and for me, that's a miracle. See, the way God just turns something around like that. Uh, Verse four, that again goes right with what I was saying. God delivered somebody's life from destruction, but it does not have to relate strictly to physical infirmity. It could be any problem. There are a lot of people who pray every day for deliverance from their jobs and from certain employers and fellow employees. I I, I think uh, since I've been in Nebraska and I've talked to different parents, that have had children in the the uh, public school system that we we pastored, I'm certain that in agreement with the parents, we prayed a lot of teenagers out of young folks' lives. Yeah, just prayed them right on out. Said, Lord, this is not Your will for her. This can't be. This is not Your will for him. And we just pray, just just pray and agree and believe God. Well, if if you don't. If you don't have some idea of what God's desires are, you can't pray that way. So Paul says in Ephesians, don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then, of course, verse 4 again talks about loving kindness and tender mercies. Now let's go back to Ephesians 1 then. Okay, Ephesians 1. I bet you all of us in here are a product of somebody else's prayer. Somebody prayed for you when you didn't you know, have sense enough to pray for yourself? That's that's what I mean. And before we may have ever really got on board with following the Lord with our whole heart and, and just totally sold out to God, there probably were people praying for you and you never even thought about it. Because to be honest with you, people don't have to tell you when they're praying for you. You can do a whole lot behind closed doors and people have no idea what you're doing at all, you can pass the night in prayer for people and they never even know that you're praying for them. You can turn down a meal, pray for people for a half hour, you can spend 15 minutes driving in your car praying for people and never tell anybody God knows all about it and the people become the beneficiaries of your prayer. But you have to be faithful in doing that. So back in Ephesians 1 then, notice again verse 3, spiritual blessings, but verse 4 takes us into one of those areas, that produces a lot of confusion for people. Now, verses 3 through 14 is the longest sentence in the book of Ephesians. It's, in Greek, it is one long sentence. Despite all the punctuation that you see here in your Bible, whatever version you have, the punctuation was added in recent times. But in Greek, it's one long sentence. And verse 4 takes us into this whole idea of predestination. Every one of us in here, we have some particular belief about predestination. We may not all agree with different people throughout the body of Christ about what predestination or foreordination means, but everybody has a belief about predestination. So let's work on what this does mean and also what we do not believe it means. Verse 4 tells us that we were chosen in Christ. Okay. Now, when I, when I worked on my master's degree with the Southern Baptists, half of my professors were Calvinists. By Calvinists, I mean Reformed. They were people who believed that God in his sovereignty selected some out of humanity before humanity ever was created. That some would be elected to be saved and spend eternity with God. Others would be elected to be condemned and spend eternity without God. Not because of any goodness or badness in and of themselves, but just solely according to God's eternal purpose. So I heard that over and over again. Then when I went back to school, did my doctoral work, I went to a reform school, heard it all again, you see, and with, with a lot of detail. As they, they, I mean, they're strong on that predestination, they, and, and they say this is the only way you can find comfort in, in just knowing that your salvation is not up to you. It has nothing to do with you. It doesn't begin with you. It doesn't continue with you. It doesn't end with you. It's all about God, and, and and that's where that's where it goes. And I've had a lot of discussions with fellow Lutheran pastors and Presbyterian preachers and Pentecostal preachers and other evangelicals and and things like that. And and here are are just some of the, the problems I have with that that my fellow ministers and the professors could answer. I said, number one, I said, if it is true that some are predestined to go up and others are predestined to go down, what is it that determines whether or not you're predestined? They said, the covenant, God made the eternal covenant. I said, okay, how is the covenant administered in this earth realm so that people will know who's in and who's out? They said, well, if you have people that are serving God and those individuals have children, then when those children are small and they're baptized and you pour the water on them, the covenant is administered to them. I said, oh. So I said, because we put water on little kids. That, that, that determines their election. So I said, all of your kids are saved but a whole lot of other people's kids aren't saved because they weren't baptized like your kids. I said, well, I said yeah, that's, that's just the way it is. I said, okay. I said, well, then let me ask you this then. If when Adam was in the garden with Eve, scripture says that he was perfect, he was without sin, he didn't know anything about sin, where did he receive this disposition to even desire to choose to eat the fruit. Because I said either he had a free will or somebody coerced him into doing that. I said, oh, I see where you're going with that. You're trying to say God made him do it. I said, no, I'm not saying that. That's what you're saying. You're the one saying that certain things are predestined. So if, if, if Adam was predetermined or predestined to sin, you make God the author of sin. And it's, a, it's, it's always a big discussion when you talk to people about this. Let me tell you what God did predetermined and predestined. Acts chapter uh, 2, and then also in Acts chapter 3, when Peter is preaching, he made it very plain that Jesus Christ died according to the predetermined counsel of God. Jesus Christ suffered, and Jesus gave himself before the foundation of the world. He voluntarily is God the Son, the natural Son of the of the of the Lord in the sense of God the Son in the Triune God here He made the determination He would come and die for people's sins before there ever had been a sin committed, so that was predetermined. Anything that is predestined means that God chooses to fix the ending in the beginning. Now He has foreknowledge, and God knew the moment you would believe. God knew the moment I would be born, but God also has known every moment that people would not believe. But it's God within his predetermination that has given us the ability to choose him and to select to, or select the word of God and choose to serve him. So what the Lord has predetermined was, is the means of salvation. So the Bible says in verse 4 here, he has chosen us in him. It is in him that we receive spiritual blessings. God predestined salvation through salvation. The shed blood of Jesus and through the atoning sacrifice. I give it to you this way. In the Old Testament, the book of Genesis says that from the beginning, the people were looking for some kind of Messiah like figure because the Lord had said that the scepter would not depart from Judah. So they were looking for a strong warrior that would come in every generation and just about uh, deliver the children of Israel from the problems that they were having. So every sacrifice that was offered, the blood that was shed, as they approached the Lord, they were saved on the basis of what they hoped for. They hoped for a Messiah. So Moses prophesied to the people and said, after I leave, God's going to send you a prophet and him you'll listen to. God told David, your seed will reign upon the throne forever. And 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 it's happened. So from from Moses, 1500 years to Jesus, every sacrifice that was offered, the people were saved by their hope because they were looking for someone in the future to come. And that's what hope is. Faith pointed in the future. However, for us who are Christian, now, we are saved not by hope, but by faith, because we believe in what occurred 2000 years ago. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. That's what makes us so different from the people under the old covenant. It's the same salvation because we were all trusting towards the same exact sacrifice. So verse four, the chosen are those who put their faith in Jesus and enter into relationship with Christ. We're chosen in him, not outside of him. And of course, That foundation of the world before the foundation of the world, that is because of the sacrifice of Christ that was predetermined before mankind was ever made. But notice the point and the purpose of the predetermination that we should be holy and without blame before him. That can only happen in Christ. I cannot be holy. You cannot be sanctified. You are not presentable to God on the basis of your own goodness only because of what God has done. So verse 5 says we've been predestinated unto the adoption. In ancient Rome, when children were adopted, the adoptees had all of the legal rights and inheritance rights as the natural-born children. So God the Son is the natural-born Son, eternal Son. We, who place our faith in him spiritually, are adopted. So Galatians says the Spirit of God is in our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Same thing it says in Romans. We've been adopted, so we've received the legal rights to receive the same inheritance that our elder brother Jesus has received. Please don't ever lose sight of that. This is so important. This is is legal language here in verse 5. Predestinated us unto the adoption of children according to the good pleasure of his will. Now let us go quickly to Romans 9. Just back up a few verses and chapters there. Romans 9. Here is another verse that people have pounded in them so hard that they just seem depressed when they talk about Uh, predestination and things like this. Romans 9, beginning, oh, let's start with, let's start with verse number 10. Not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election. See, the Calvinists, when they run into that word election, they, 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 they only hear, they only see, they only read, they only interpret. Some are predestined to go to heaven, others are predestined to go to hell. So that, that's how they read this here. That election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is, is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it's not of him that willeth. That's why they say you don't have free will. You can't will to be saved. You can't believe on your own. They'll say it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that shows mercy. For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore will, therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why do you find fault? For who has resisted his will? No, but, O oh man, are you? who are you that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me thus? Well, we have language like this in Ecclesiastes also where it says, How can you say to the Creator, what are you doing? But, but here's the thing. It is true that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's what the Bible says. And, and, and it is true that the Lord showed his choice of Jacob over Esau by allowing the children of Israel to come forth from Jacob's loins and allowing the nation to grow from him so that Jesus Christ could be born. That's true. But but folks, these are exceptions, okay? <laughs> these are not, these are not the, the normal way of God doing things in the Bible, and you have to be willing to acknowledge when when you have the exception here. When the people... Are preaching and they say God chose Jacob and He hated Esau. Remember, in Old English, Old English, because that's what the KJV is in. Old English, the word "hate" also means "love less." This means God God showed a particular a particular attitude towards Jacob that He didn't show towards Esau. It wasn't because either of them had done anything good or bad. The Scripture says, but God chose sovereignly to create a certain. Uh, 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 or to, to adjust himself towards them with a certain predisposition. There's nothing in this chapter that says he elected Jacob to go to heaven and Esau to go to hell. Nothing. There's not one sentence, there's not a phrase in here that says Jacob was selected to go up, Esau was selected to go down. No, nothing like that at all. And, and when people try to say that this is what it means for God's power to be shown in, in us, that he selects who he will go to heaven and chooses others that they can't go. I say that's wrong because the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what the Bible says yep, in Peter. And then the scripture says in 1 John that if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, the man Christ Jesus, who became the propitiation for our sins, not only for our sins, but also for the world also, so, you know, John three sixteen as well as I do, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A Calvinist interprets this, God so loved the world, that he, God so loved the world of the elect that God gave his son. They said, no, no, he doesn't love everybody in the world. Jesus didn't die for everybody in the world. His death was not hypothetical. That would make it universal salvation. I say it doesn't make it universal salvation. Jesus' death is sufficient for any and every person on this planet, every ethnic group, every person that speaks a different language, but it's only efficient or effective for the one that believes. Yeah, the one that doesn't believe doesn't mean a thing. Calvinists say that's not right. Jesus died to purchase and secure the elect of God that had been sovereignly chosen from the beginning. I don't believe there's an ounce of that taught anywhere in uh, the scripture. Let's come back to Ephesians 1. Wow, boy, talk about details tonight. We're we're working on it. Okay, Ephesians 1. Notice verse number 7 now. Well, maybe I should touch on that last sentence of verse six, accepted in the beloved. Everybody wants acceptance. The only way to find it is through Jesus Christ. In Paul's letters, when you run into phrases like the first two words of verse seven, in whom, in him, in Christ, you are normally going to find positional blessings that follow those phrases. That means these blessings only, only come to those who are in Christ. So there's certain things you need to know that do not apply to unbelievers. As much as we we, we like to say we believe in the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man and all of that, God does treat us differently uh, with people who are outside the family. Just like you treat people differently that are outside your family. I guarantee you, when it comes time for the inheritances, inheritances of your family to be given away, there's not going to be much left to people outside the family. But you're going to remember the people that are close to you. That's that's how, how it works out. We treat family a little bit different because of the blood relationship. But then at the same time as Christians, we have a blood relationship with one another. And some of us are closer to our spiritual brothers and sisters than we are to our natural family. I've told you before, all the years that I've been out here, I've missed a lot of birthday parties in my family. A lot of graduations in my family. I've missed, oh my, thousands of days of watching my nieces and nephews and family members grow up so that in reality, at this stage of the game, having been out here nearly 18 years, I'm closer to some of you than I am to some of my own extended family members now because I talk to you and I see you more. You understand that? Yeah, this, this is important. So there's an acceptance that you have given to me that that comes out of relationship. And there's an acceptance that I have of you that comes out of relationship. And it's the same thing in verse 6. Those who are in Christ are accepted in the beloved. If they truly are born again and they're in the family and love the Lord and their hearts sold out to God and they have a real relationship with the Lord, they are accepted by me. I don't care what church they go to or what denomination they're of. Because if the Lord says by his blood they have access to heaven and they're qualified to be a citizen of the new kingdom, who am I? To not practice acceptance, but denial. But we have to know what a genuine Christian, genuine Christian is. So verse 7 goes on to say, in him, or in Christ, or as it says here, in whom we have redemption through his blood. We cannot be saved any other way than by his blood and, and, and people who say they've come in some other way without believing in that don't put any trust in it if somebody says to you that I, I'm, I'm saved because I joined a particular church don't pay that any mind just just keep your mind anchored to verse 7 here redemption through his blood That's how the acceptance comes, and then the forgiveness of sins. The Greek word for forgiveness means to to expel, to send away. So literally, when you're forgiven by God, your, your sins are expunged and removed. So They're gone. The only way anyone in here knows anything about my past life that's under the blood, you have to hear me tell it. And I have to use it as a story or an illustration, as a testimony. And I would never know anything about what's under the blood in your life, except you tell me. There's no way for me to find out. Because once it's under the blood, God has dealt with that. Scripture says that as far as the east is from the west, that's what the Lord does with sin when he casts it into the sea of forgetfulness. Wow, that's good news. Forgiveness of sins. So, no matter how bad you may think you 've been god 's forgiveness makes you clean yeah. now, i 've been around people before and, and been in services where you know you, you, you let people stand up and testify can 't always do that you know, you, some, sometimes you can 't always do that, but you stand up and you say, okay. Who's got a testimony they want to share about how how the Lord brought them out or changed their life or something like that? And 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 if you're not careful and you don't really control that thing, you you have people standing up and people be trying to give the worst story possible. They try to outdo the other one. So, oh God saved me, the devil had me on the run last week and I'm telling you, the roof collapsed in the house and I mean i, I it was it was terrible, but the Lord he came through for me to he help me. then somebody else give him testify I got one better than that. God delivered me out of destruction, I committed adultery on my wife, and the Lord went out of His way to show love and kindness and favor to me, and somebody else come with something worse than that so you you, you don't want to do that now this this is not a competition to see who is the worst person that God saved, okay. We won't mention any names, but some of you folks in here have things under the blood that we don't want to know about, okay? We don't want to know at all. But notice verse 7 again. Redemption, forgiveness, and then riches. It, It is not human grace that redeems you or brings forgiveness. Humans have a way... Of forgiving you, but refusing to forget what you've done. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they, they don't want to let that go. I told you a story about that that time we were down at a preacher's convention in Texas, and a man named Dwight Thompson was up there preaching and he told a story. He was in a meeting and he said he preached on forgiveness, and a lady came up to him afterwards and said, I'll listen to what you said, but I don't like what you said. And he said, Well, what's the problem? And the lady said to him, My Husband left me with, I forget how many kids she had, and he ran off with another woman, and I'm just mad, and she says, he's, he's gone now, he's dead, but she says, Any opportunity I get when I feel moved to do it, I go out to the cemetery. And when I get out there close by his headstone, I slow down in that car. I roll the window down and I cuss and I just shout as many expletives as I can. And I feel so good afterwards. That's what she told the preacher. How'd you like to get that after you just ministered on forgiveness? She didn't get anything of what he was saying. That's what she said. And so he, here's what he said to her. He said, well, <clears throat> so I'm sorry you feel that way, but he said, I tell you, here's what you ought to do. You ought to go down to the, to the nearest Home Depot and, and buy you a backpack and a shovel and then go out there to that cemetery and just dig up all of his remains, bones and all, and put it in that backpack and just strap it to your back and carry it around everywhere you go because that's exactly what you're doing spiritually by carrying all this unforgiveness. Well, she didn't want to hear that. She came back several nights later and she had really prayed through on that and realized she was wrong, and uh, she got the victory over that. But see, folks, it has to be His grace that gives us the ability to practice forgiveness because in this world, there are things that people can do to you that you really will struggle uh, to forgive certain people. There's certain. Certain things, certain acts, certain things that people say to you that, that you will find that you, you'll struggle to, to get past. And, and I can tell you from personal experience, when the Bible says pray for those that, that don't like you and those that use you, the, the reason you should do that because it keeps you from becoming like them. As a minister, as a pastor, I, I've had people say nasty things to me, very nasty things to me. But if, if, if I want to keep my heart right, then the way to do that, to cleanse myself and purge myself, is to continue to stay at the foot of that cross, take a bath in that blood every day and say, oh, God, help me from, keep me from becoming bitter. So you pray for people. That purges your heart. If you don't do that, if all you're going to do is talk to people about your problems and talk to people about what people have done, you're going to continue to get angry. The, the veins going to bulge out in your neck. You're going to get madder and madder. And if you meditate on it too long, you end up doing some bad things to people that's not nice at all. So here's where we'll, we'll stop right here in verse 8 where it says, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And prudence is certainly connected with wisdom in the sense of understanding. And when it says abounded, that means he has caused to increase. That's what that means. He's caused it to increase. Well, these are just some of the spiritual blessings that God has for us. And when you look at them this way, it's helpful as a Christian to know that it is possible to forgive. And it's possible to share the love of God with people that has been shared with you. When Jesus was being crucified on that cross, as you will recall, his mother was there. You know, family was there. Friends. Gathered around that cross, not to mention a lot of folks that didn't like him, even Roman soldiers that were gambling for his clothing as he hung there on the cross. And it's always an amazing thing to me that as he's on the cross and he's talking to God, that the people around the cross don't really know who he's talking to. They think he's calling on Elijah and all of these kinds of things. But but he he's on the cross and, and someone heard him say, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, well, who is it that doesn't know what they're doing? Well, you got a group of people down here gambling for his clothing. They don't have a clue that they're gambling for the clothing of the, 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 the son of God. You, you have the, the, the people who passed the verdict for him to be crucified. Pilate, folks like that. You, you have the people that, that turned him over to Pilate, the okay. Jewish leaders. You've got the one that betrayed him. See, all of these different groups of people that were complicit in the death of an innocent man who did no wrong, but yet that man, as he's dying and as he's in excruciating pain and as he's bleeding and he's got crowns of thorns, thorns embedded in the the flesh of his skin with blood going down, and his mama looking up there, that beautiful little boy whose diaper she used to change as a kid, and her heart is broken. Fulfilling the prophecy that said that what goes on with him is going to pierce your soul. This man says, Father, forgive them. It's because of that story that there will never be an occasion in your life or my life where you'll be able to say, I can't forgive. See, it's not not a matter of ability, it's a matter of will. Now, it's possible for you to say, I won't forgive. But if you're a Christian, and the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts, according to Romans 5 and 5, you can never say, I can't forgive. Just be honest. You refuse to forgive. Mm -hmm. You can. The ability is there. Jesus did it. He lives in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the the simplicity of the word of God. There's so much to learn in this. God, the more we look at this in detail, we see how far we fall short. God, if we're carrying any grudges tonight, please forgive us. Uh, Lord, if there's anything between uh, one another or us and you, Lord, we pray that you'd wash us in your blood right now. Let all of our sins just be pushed further and further and further away from us so that we won't have anything to do with them again. Father, thank you for, for bringing to us the knowledge of salvation. and Thank you, O oh God, for caring so much about us that you redeemed us. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.